0: This is your host, Amy Arsnow, and welcome to the Transmit Safety Podcast. A podcast that will help you achieve a holistic approach to workplace health and safety with practical solutions introducing new or alternative ways of approach to put that value of safety into action. So fill up that workplace approved beverage of your choice and tune in to today's episode. In the first episodes of the podcast, we have spent time talking about values, emotional intelligence, career paths, stress management, because this all is a combination of who we are as health and safety professionals and defines a little bit about what we might see within our health and safety management systems. I see this all the time. What you focused on is where you have decided to nurture your program. And nobody likes to make mistakes, so we focus on the things that we feel confident in. But there is wisdom in every misstep that we take as professionals, as practitioners. You are trying to create a healthy and safe workplace. How you have decided to define what a healthy and safe workplace is also can influence where you are putting your focus. Defining healthy and safe workplace, you know, lack of loss, less injuries, increased employee engagement, the ability for somebody to fail safely, or everybody has a personal responsibility when it comes to health and safety, how you define workplace health and safety is, yes, linked into the two legislation definitions and linked into industry definitions but you also have a personal definition of what that looks like, what that feels like within your organization. The inability to create a healthy and safe workplace is a threat and something, you know, I'm going to use the word threat in a very wide and and open kind of term, but sometimes when we're not reaching our goals, we have to do a little bit of reflection and The inability to make progress within your health and safety program, let's put it on the table. Could it be you? Could it be your inability to effectively communicate? Could it be based on your personal biases? Is it the lack of professional development that you have or have not had within your career? Or is it going to workshops, going to conferences, taking additional professional development, but not actually applying it in situations that are going to be beneficial to you and within your organization? It's not me. It's the management team. It's not me. It's the workers. It's not me, except uh, maybe it is. Alex is a safety advisor. They have been working at a company for over two years, and they have been trying to make an impact. They work Monday through Friday, 40 hours a week, overtime as required. Alex has an NCSO and attends an annual conference for professional development. They are a department of one, and their company has one primary location within the last month, there has been five additional projects sizing from three to 15 people on site. In the first year, they felt confident. Alex felt positive in their role and had a strong conviction that yes, they could make a change for the better within this company. But recently they've been feeling doubtful, embarrassed even, and also a little bit of shame Due to the number of incidents occurring within the organization, that they weren't able to make that air quote change that they thought they could within the organization. They had a difficult decision to make to act or not to act, and to act, what action, what movement, what direction would it be in? Let's break this down and think about it as a failure. How you define what the problem is can help you find your solution. So the goals, what is Alex aiming for? How is Alex defining a healthy and safe workplace by the number of incidents? Or let me refrain that by the lack of incidents being reported. So is the is the goal right? Is is reducing, yeah, sure, reducing incidents is a nice goal to have, but is it realistic? Is the primary thing that you want to focus on? Recent research has a lot to say about that. So I'll just kind of move on and say, mm, is that the right thing to focus on? Is that the right type of goal to have? What assumptions did Alex make? Are others valuing health and safety as much as they? Are they having the assumption that the people have the right knowledge and they know how to apply that knowledge in order to help achieve that goal? What other metrics and insights were they tracking and were they analyzing along the way? You know, a lack of incident. So after each root cause investigation, was that it? Were they taking a look at other leading and lagging indicators? What type of data were they gathering to help them define healthy and safe workplace? And what about the skills or the ability to learn and develop new skills with each perceived air quote failure? When something needs to be communicated, how was it communicated and was that effective? Then there's the other question about what could we do differently next time? This question infers that there is a we in the group. I agree to that, but to a point, there also needs to be some internal reflection to ask, what can I do differently? What can other individuals do differently? And then what can we collectively do differently? There's there's no easy way. Alex has a problem. Workplace health and safety isn't improving by their selected metrics. When they first started, the frontline supervisors, they got on board with workplace inspection, senior management, signed on that new training policy, and sure, they had some early perceived successes. Yet the path to success is not always linear. You take one step forward, two steps back, a leap to the right, a stumble to the left, and success is it's one of those things that you need to actually take a moment to say is this something that is beneficial to track is this something that i am measuring appropriately because the initial buy-in that alex received was quickly eroded by safety is taking too much time the client won't pay for that or that's safety's job now since the company's goal was to have less incidents and the company is having more incidents the perception was that safety wasn't being beneficial to the organization. in fact, safety was getting worse and Alex is a let go. Alex was the scapegoat about the reason why safety wasn't improving within the organization. Now, this was devastating to Alex. They had thought they had made changes that were being accepted. they thought that they were respected within the company, and they thought that the changes that they were implementing were making a difference. Now, dear listener, are you wondering if the increased incidents were because of the increased trust that was being built? People were reporting what was actually happening? I, you know, I thought so too. However, the company was only focused on the reduction of incidents. So the increased number of incidents was the exact Opposite of what they wanted. Was it the wrong goal? Was it the wrong measurement of health and safety in the workplace? In fact, Alex, after being removed from the day-to-day chaos, filled up their cup, grabbed a pen, grabbed a paper, kicking it old school, and journaled through some prompts to help help kind of resolve some un, unthought about processes. So what did they think was an early success? What did they feel were the setbacks in the program, in their professional layout of how they were going to create, air quote, a healthy and safe workplace? What were the factors of success being measured? What were the factors of defining a setback or a failure? What individual actions impacted those successes and or those setbacks. One of Alex's key takeaways was that they were trying to do it all by themselves. They were the one asking for change. They were the one writing new policies. They were the ones implementing new training requirements. They were working in isolation. But isolated strategies do Not work. Figure out the role you play within the organization and then ask yourself who is on your team? Who are your key go to people within your organization that are aligned with where you want to go within your health and safety program? And let's be honest, not everybody is going to want change. You need to get people to do things differently. That's a potential conflict, but that's also part of change management. One of the first questions that I asked during a coaching session with other health and safety practitioners is who are your change champions, change champions, change agents, whatever you want to call them, figure out who is going to help you within these change management processes. So what is a change agent or a change champion? Change advocate, advocate for change. There's so many different names that you can call them, but simply it is a person who acts as a catalyst for that change management process. They are somebody who's going to promote, champion, and enable and support that change within the organization. There can be two types of change champions or change agents your technical experts and then your social support champions as well. Within each level, each department, on each project, you should be identifying and creating relationships with those who are visible and available at their level. Those who have developed a leadership title within their group. And remember, just because somebody has a title of management doesn't mean that they're a leader. So, what what does visible and available to their level mean? This is somebody who's interacting with their group, interacting with the group that you're trying to influence, interacting with the group that you're trying to get a behavioral change from or or an agreement to a type of change within within your health and safety management system, within the overall organization. So this isn't some disingenuous random shop floor visit or a manager that only shows up to the project once a month this is somebody who's truly interacting authentically on a regular basis with that group and the other way that i think about that is that these advocates for change have built up a large volume of social capital within the group as well i think it's important to say that these people you know are not always management they can be management but a job title doesn't make a leader And so when you're looking at the employee list, when you're looking at individuals within your organization, looking for those advocates of change, don't just focus on job titles. So pull out that employee list and create some columns. Respected, good communicators, resilient, connected. If you're not sure who meets this criteria, time to get to work and do what a safety person should be really good at observing. One of the ways that I always used to figure out about who had the power within the groups, who had the leadership title within the group was to ask questions in a group setting and see who people look to before responding. Watch who people gravitate towards when they're making a decision or who they wait to speak when there's a difficult question on the table. It might not even be the first person who is talking. So when somebody is speaking, watch the body language of others. See who they are looking at when somebody is speaking. Watch if they're looking at the speaker or if they're paying attention to somebody else in the group to get their cues from that individual. It's a very fascinating experience. You can do this in operational meetings and safety meetings. Really, you can do this in any type of group setting. The social dynamics of change management should never be overlooked. This is very much connected with the different types of personal power that people can hold. And there are two types of personal power, the expert and the referent. The expert personal power comes from one's experiences, one's knowledge. So, as an example, a senior technician is an expert on a particular unit. A manager is an expert at a particular process. There is very much an expert level knowledge that's being applied, and people go to that individual for that expertise. Now, there's also referent power, and referent power comes from being trusted comes from being respected. As an example, you might have a team lead who has developed referent power within the crew for being fair and treating everybody with respect. We're even added a sixth type of power, which is the informational power. And informational power comes from controlling the information that others need to know in order to achieve something. So a boss is going to give away information about a specific situation in a controlled manner. Informational power is different than expert power because expert power is built on one's expertise and knowledge and the ability to do a task and share that information in a way of meeting kind of the the operational or the performance expectations. Informational power is a little bit about more about, I have this information and I'm going to decide who gets the information, when they get the information, how they get that information. So which power is best to develop when creating kind of change? When you want to develop change, for me, I think it's very clear that referent power, being trusted, being respected is one that is very much needed in order to create this change, but there are a few things that you need within your organization to fully kind of harness referent power. One of them is that you need a low employee turnover rate. And you as an individual need to have the skill, the ability to build close personal relationships. These take time. You need to develop this over time. So if you're new to an organization, if you're new to a crew, if you're new to a group of people that you're trying to influence, you might not have this time. You might not have this referent power already developed. So that's linking back into who are your advocates of change. So understanding who in the group already has this referent power, already has this relationship built in with the group is very important because you can leverage their power by association. Now, this isn't easy to do, but it's about being your authentic self while establishing and creating relationships within each level of the group. You want somebody to advocate on your behalf when you're in that group or when you're not kind of present. And talk about the things that you are trying to achieve, like implementing a new insert you know, health and safety activity or initiative here. Remember, Alex, they realize that no matter where an organization is within the continuous improvement cycle, it's important for the health and safety practitioner to be observant to know who holds influence, who holds power, referent or expert power within their organization. Alex also, as a key takeaway, understood that they cannot do it alone, that they need to create essentially allies within their change management process. And that's the key takeaway for this episode. Understanding that you can't do it alone, that you only have influence over your little bubble about what you can do. And the ripple effect is to find who your change agents are within your organization and help them develop the skills and the information that they need in order to advocate for health and safety within their groups, within their departments, on their projects. So grab that workplace-approved beverage of your choice and get observing. Can't get enough of the Transmit Safety Podcast? I'm there with you. In the meantime, between episode releases, feel free to connect with me on transmitsafety.com. You'll find all of my social media links there and able to plug into the newsletter.